welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Buenos dias, my friends. Welcome to Awaken. My name is Micah. How many of you saw the tumbleweed cross the screen on that video? Anybody? A couple of you. Okay, a couple of you saw it. Next week, you got to watch for it. It's kind of sneaky. It's, a, it's like a terrible GIF animated, you know, tumbleweed that goes across. It looks so bad, it's almost funny. Um, but welcome to you on Ryder Cup Sunday morning, everybody. Does <laughs> anybody in this room care that the Ryder Cup is happening right now? By show of hands. I got one in the back. Hallelujah. How many here from Shelby County? No? DC Talk? Jesus Freak album? Do you guys remember that? How many here from Shelby County? Hallelujah. I see that hand. All right. This is going bad. Uh, the Ryder Cup is happening today, and um, the first match is all square, in case you're wondering. I just got an update when I left earlier. Okie dokie. My name is Micah. We are in a series called Wells and Fences, and this is a series that we are doing because we want to ask the question, what kind of church do we want to be? It's a question about culture and DNA. It's a question about beliefs. It's a question about how we hold the things that we hold, how we believe the things that we say we believe. Week one, we talked about bounded set and centered set. So if you're new, I want to get you up to speed. We use this diagram to look at two different ideas, two different ways of understanding a community. One would be on the left, a bounded set, which would be uh, a fence versus a well. And the most important question in this community or in this way of being a community is, do you believe what we believe? Many of us have grown up in spiritual communities like this. Uh, do you believe what we believe? The most important question. It determines everything. Who's in, who's out, who can be a member, who can't, who can vote, who can't, who can serve, who can't, who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, right? That's not always the heart of people who hold, you know, who do this kind of, of community, but that's often how it's experienced. On the right, a centered set, a well. The question that's most important in a centered set community is, are you thirsty? What's in the center? Are you moving towards the well? And so we want to be a centered set. We want to be a community that says, not by fences, but by the commitment to that which is in the center. We believe that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the well that is living water. It actually gives life. So in week one, we talked about the scriptures. The centrality of the scriptures is the first affirmation in this denomination that we're a part of called the Evangelical Covenant. So in the next few weeks, we'll be exploring these affirmations. Week one was the, uh, the, the centrality of the scriptures. The Old Testament and New Testament uh, is the word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. We talked about the nature of the Bible and the nature of the God behind the Bible last week. And this week, we want to explore the second affirmation, which is the necessity for new birth, to be born again. What does that mean, and why is it important? So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3, if you would. And if you can, stand as we read the scriptures. I would invite you to stand. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a good teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. 
Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Pray with me. God, as we gather around this story and these scriptures this morning, as we gather around this well, which was and is your life and teachings and death and resurrection, I pray that your church, as your church, we would hear from you, that you would say something to us this morning that we need to hear. So, Open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to hear you and sense you and see you, I pray. In the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Born again. Born again. I want to talk about what it means to be born again today. And even more than that, I want to talk about what it means to be born again, again, and again, and again. Born again, again. Because some of us come here this morning, and maybe we've said yes to this idea of Jesus and following this Jesus, and yet there needs to be another born-again kind of an experience for us. I think sometimes we think that this is a one-and-done kind of thing. And when we started this church, actually, we called it Awaken, because it was my hope and dream, my prayer, that we would be a group of people who were continually waking up to God's dream for the world. And that happens once, and then it happens again and again And again, so while I may follow Jesus, there may be some part of my life that actually needs to die. And I need to be born again, again. So I want to talk about what it means to be born again. And I want to talk about being born again, again, and again, and again. I was five years old at Pam Gall. Actually, last week, if you were here, we sang the B-I-B-L-E song. I learned that song at Pam Gall's at VBS. And it was actually at Pam Gall's house at VBS down the street from 1057 Van Buren in a stucco house with a big picture window. I know this because I remember one time we had this gigantic ice storm in the winter. It was like November or December. And there was literally like almost an inch of ice that covered the entire landscape. So we thought, let's play. So we literally strapped on our hockey skates and we skated down the sidewalks. And I remember skating down the sidewalk, waving at Pam Gall as she stood in her picture window. So that's how I know she had a picture window because I remember that vividly. But it was Pam Gall, and she hosted a neighborhood, like, backyard Bible club, or VBS, at her house. And I remember being downstairs in her basement, and I remember, like, it was, I can actually see it in my mind's eye. Uh, I remember coming out of the group and into her laundry room, where there was some sheets and towels hanging in the laundry room, and we had just gotten done singing, I will never uh, fly in the, uh, fly, uh, what's that one? I will not frighten the infantry, fly over the enemy, shoot the artillery, for I am in the Lord's army. We had just sung that song. Lots of things we could say about that song, but we'll do that for another week. But I remember singing that song, and I remember going into this laundry room and praying to receive Jesus for the first time. I was five. Now, we can talk about what that looks like for young children, but let me just say this. That was a moment in my life that I remember, and it's marked it's a threshold moment. It was a moment where I crossed over some, something, somehow, in some way, from one place to another. It was a new birth of sorts. Here's how it's written in the Covenant Affirmations booklet. It says, when the Covenant Church affirms that it is evangelical, 
It proclaims that the new birth in Jesus is essential. We teach that by the death and resurrection of Jesus, God conquered sin, death, and the devil, offering forgiveness for sin and assuring eternal life for those who follow Christ. New birth is more than in the experience of forgiveness and acceptance. It is a regeneration and the gift of eternal life. So John chapter 3, John tells a story about Jesus encountering a man named Nicodemus. Fascinating one. A couple of things as we kind of get going this morning I want to draw out from this story. Nicodemus, he's a member of the Pharisee. He's a Pharisee and he's a member of the Sanhedrin. If you don't know, the Sanhedrin is a group of people. They're like the ruling religious elite in Judaism in the first century. So the Pharisees were a part of this ruling group called the Sanhedrin. And Nicodemus is a part of them. He's essentially at the top of the totem pole on the religious Uh, in in a religious perspective. He comes to Jesus in darkness, which is interesting because John does this all through his gospel. He talks about light and darkness. He talks about how we will shine like stars in the the night. Um, And he uses this imagery, and he does it with Nicodemus. He comes in secret and in the cover of darkness at night to ask Jesus questions. The person who should be enlightened the most is, in fact, in the dark. But it's a good thing that doesn't happen to any of us anymore, right? He says, it says he's born of Abraham. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a part of the Jewish religious system, which means that Nicodemus has a direct line all the way back to Father Abraham because he had many sons. And many sons, I'm one of them. He's a Jew's Jew. He's from the right family. He's from the right side of the tracks. He went to all the right schools. And yet Jesus and John make it clear that he's still missing something. It's like his religious affiliation or even the covenant between God and Israel is not enough to ensure that one can participate in the kingdom Jesus speaks of. This new way of being human, this new life that he calls the kingdom of God. Rather, being born of the Spirit. So a couple things I want to say today about new birth. First and foremost, and this may be obvious, but I would suggest to you that new birth is necessary. That we all, regardless of where we've come from, need to be born again in some way, need to be regenerated. In verse 5, Jesus says that we can't enter the kingdom or we can't see the kingdom, which isn't a place or a destination, but a way of living, a way of being, until we're born of water and the Spirit. To be born of water is a very Jewish way of saying, like to be born of flesh, to be born of a mother, to be born of water, right? My water broke, the baby came out. To be born of water. Now, he's speaking about something else, though. And this is why, of course, Nicodemus is so confused. He says, if you're born of water, and he says, well, how can that happen? Like, you can't go back into your mother if you've already been born. But Jesus says, you have to be born again. What does he mean? To be born of the Spirit. Jesus is speaking about something that he continues to talk about and that Paul later clarifies in 2 Corinthians when he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So John makes it clear that you have to be born of water. Everybody's born of water. That's, Paul later says, uh, he uses the, to be born of Adam, right? C.S. Lewis says that we're sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. We're all born of parents, But then he says you have to be born of the Spirit as well, which is to say you have to be born of Jesus. Now, gang, here's the thing. Our experience as humanity comes with it this inability 
to see and experience the kingdom of God on our own. Something in us is broken that we can't fix. The classic language of this, of course, is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's something in us that is broken and that we can't fix. Try as we might, the heart left to itself will always choose just that, self. And we were created for something other than that. We were actually created for relationship and to be for the other, not ourselves. This goes all the way back to Genesis 3. So the great debate of humanity and of religion is, of course, how does that get fixed? How do we address that problem? If, in fact, that's true, that there's something in me that's broken and there's something in you that's broken, there's something in me that is off just a little bit, there's something about me that is not living the way I was intended to live on my own. And the great debate is how does that get remedied? Some traditions say that we have it in us, that it's in you as a human. This is the promise of the Enlightenment. That you've got everything, we have everything that we need to fix the world, to solve the problems, to stop the wars and the bombs, and yet, if you watch the news, that's pretty clear. It doesn't work. Some religions say that strict adherence to a holiness code or a law, a way of fixing that problem. The uniquely Christian offering is that Jesus, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, provides the way back home. This grace that's offered to us that we receive by faith allows us access, not to heaven after we, after we die, but to be human, to be truly human, the way we were intended to be human, in this life and the one to come. So it's not just a problem of sin management, it's not just how do we fix that, but it's how do we become who we were meant to be? This is sounding a bit like a Joel Osteen uh, book, but there's truth in that, that there's something that we're missing out on as humans and that we were created for more. Here's the bottom line. Scripture seems to be making the case quite strongly that we are in need of something that we don't have, that we cannot obtain it on our own, and that some kind of new birth, a regeneration of sorts, is necessary. So I would start by saying... That's the starting place. Now, having said all that, I want to say this. What should my heart want? I, I, uh, as a preacher, as a pastor, it's taken me a long time to just say, like, I am a pastor. For a long time, it was kind of like, yeah, people would ask me at a party, like, hey, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a teacher of sorts. I teach the Bible. I'm a pastor. And it's taken me a while to say that. And I... I want to be a certain kind of pastor. And the kind of pastor I want to be is the kind of pastor that doesn't say should a lot. Like you should or you ought. But I'm choosing to say it today. What should my heart want? As people who love and follow Jesus, for sure, but maybe even just as human beings who live on planet Earth, our hearts should desire that nothing gets left behind. No pun intended, bad books aside. That nothing remains broken. That nothing is left unredeemed. My heart's hope should be that God gets back everything that God made, good, uh, made and called good. If my heart's desire is for anything less than that, one could argue that I'm a hypocrite. 
that I would want something for myself that I'm not willing or able to want for someone else. If I want or I desire healing and wholeness, but I don't want that for someone else who is in need, what does that say about me and my heart? What I should want is that God gets everything back that God made and called good. That's what I should desire. That's what my heart should move towards. That nothing is left out. No one is left out. I once ran into this bookstore on Ham, uh, University in Snelling, one of the greatest used bookstores in all of the Twin Cities, by the way. The big blue signs out there, fabulous. You walk in, and just that smell of old books, man, I love that. And of course, I went to the theology section, because that's where all the cool kids hang out. And I'm looking through the books, and I saw this one book on the, on the shelf, and the title just leveled me, and I bought it just because of the title. I've read bits and pieces of it, but I, I don't think I've read the whole thing in its entirety. The title is called, Dare We Hope That All Might Be Saved. Dare we hope that all might be saved. That's what I should want. Because if I am in need of healing and wholeness, because I'm broken, but I don't want that for you, having said that, I read passages like this. Ephesians 4. I'll read a couple of different ones here. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Back to Ephesians 2. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God in his rich mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It, has, it is by grace you have been saved. While I hope that somehow I'm, that I'm not seeing something that seems to be clear in Scripture, while I hope that God gets back everything that God made, all of the world, all of humanity, after reading scripture, I must conclude three things. One, Jesus' death is essential. Jesus, what Jesus accomplishes on the cross and in resurrection is essential and cannot be lost. Two, that our choices matter. That free will, which I believe is a real thing, has to be preserved. So it's not that I want something, but then it's a trick in the end and I get something else. But that my free will and my choice is honored by God. And three, we get what we want. So if I want life without God in this life, that's what I get, and in the next. What I'm saying is this. While I should hope, while I want to hope that all would be saved, it seems clear to me in Scripture that there is something essential about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that is, that is at the center of what it means to be born again, to, be, to, be ex to experience new life in God, to be regenerated, to be born again. So... Am I a universalist? No. I can't be. 
because of Scripture. I want to be in that everything that God made good, God gets back. Universally, I want to be, and I think you should too, quite frankly. But I can't because I read Scripture and it seems to me that it is essential what Jesus does on the cross. Which just sounds a little bit different, right? Then, well, I'm not going to imitate. I'll just... I think that that's a different way to hold the same position. One with a little bit more humility and with a little bit more grace. So, while I hope that somehow in the end God gets it all back, I have to preserve free will and I have to be honest with the scriptures. What is required for new birth then? If new birth is necessary, what does it require? I would say at least trust and repentance. Trust and repentance. Trust in Jesus the human to show me what it means to be human. First, I have to trust in Jesus the human to show me what it looks like to be human. There's a lot of different options out there, friends, of who to emulate and what to follow and what to, what to model our lives after. We could look to our heroes or politicians or activists or uh, movie stars, humanitarians, religious people, all kinds of folks that we could emulate and model our lives after. And there's lots of options out there. For sure, but the story of the Bible and the good news about Jesus is that he, what is offered in Jesus' life is the ultimate representative of humanity. That in Jesus we see the pinnacle, the highest goal, as high as we could ever go as a human. That's what we see in Jesus. And so he is an example. He's the telos, he's the goal, he's the mark. New birth requires that I trust Jesus the human to show me what it looks like to be human and that I trust Jesus the Christ, two different things, Jesus the Christ to do what I cannot do. Try as I might, I cannot accomplish healing and wholeness on my own. Someone else outside of me has to bring that to bear. The scriptures remind us of this. The, heart, the human heart is deceitful and wicked and who can know it? I mentioned Romans, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And again, this debate is, is, how does this happen? Some people say that it exists within humanity. And I don't know if you guys, how many of you watch like the evening news? Do any of you still do this? I don't do that very often. And the other day I was watching the evening news, like Channel 11, Care 11. Is it Paul Majors? Is he still even on there? <laughs> Randy Shaver, that's who it is, Randy Shaver. Man, I'm getting old. <coughs> Tim McNiff, I love that guy. Keep going. I'm sitting there, I'm watching the evening news, and it opens like the first five stories are like one horrible death, two shootings, an abduction, and some scandal. And that's like the opener. I just don't think we can do it. I don't think we can fix it. I just disagree with that premise that something outside of us needs to happen because we are unable to find our way home. New birth requires that I trust Jesus the human and Jesus the Christ and repentance. Now, if any of you are getting hot around the collar and there's hives breaking out, I get it. This word repentance comes with tons of baggage and many of us have been on the receiving end that felt like it was said, you know, this is in love, but it felt like a club, right? It's fascinating because the word repentance in Scripture is a beautiful picture 
It's unbelievable. It has nothing to do with guilt and shame and many of the things we felt when we talk about repentance. The two words in Greek and Hebrew, metanoia and teshuva. Metanoia literally means to change your mind or to think differently after. So it's having come in contact with something, you change your mind. Repent. What if somebody was on the corner saying, change your mind, change your mind, and they had a big sign that said, change your mind, instead of repent, repent, repent. Would it sound any differently? Like, after having this encounter with the living well, the well of Jesus, change your mind about any number of things. Teshuva, oh, what a wonderful word. It literally means return. Does anybody have a son or a daughter that has just gone off the rails? As a parent, and you just long with all of your heart that they would just come home. That they would just turn around. That they would just see clearly for a moment the direction they're headed. Turn around. Repent. It's the same word. The biblical sense is a recognition that whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm going, whatever I'm participating in, it's not life-giving. And in the end, it's not in line with who God has made me to be. Repent. You don't have to keep doing this. You don't have to keep going down this road. You don't have to keep living this way. There is another way. Tomorrow doesn't have to look like today. Repent. That's the spirit of the word. So new birth, it requires trust and repentance. Lastly, what does it produce? When someone is born again, what happens? Many of us have had the experience where somebody gets into a religious situation or they find themselves in a new religious community and they become worse off for it. We're like, whatever that is, it's not helping you and it's not doing any good. What does new birth produce? When somebody says, I'm born again, what should be, according to the scriptures, the product of that experience? And there's this interesting thing among religious people where we sometimes privilege a certain story and minimize another story, where we privilege the, the massive sort of conversion, you know, uh, uh, like hyper experience, and someone who maybe has known God all their lives is kind of like, that's nice, but man, this is so unbelievable, right? What's interesting about John's gospel is they're both there. The woman at the well has an experience with Jesus and her life is literally transformed. She becomes the town evangelist, turns around 180 degrees. And then there's Nicodemus, who shows up in the middle of the night in the darkness, who then says something to the religious people and then kind of backs away in the, in the gospel. He doesn't follow through with it. And then at the end of the story, we recognize something has happened because we see his actions. There's a certain kind of fruit from whatever happened and he's at the cross taking the, the body of Jesus down. And it's this progress, this progression, this slow marinade where something changes. There's no prescription for how this works, but there's always fruit. In the Covenant Affirmations, it says this, Such a high doctrine of conversion does not mean that all believers have dramatic conversion experiences. While no one remembers the moment of physical birth, one's present life is evidence of its occurrence. Right? You're here, so it happened. 
So a person may be truly converted even though he or she has no memory of new birth. Here's the key. The vitality of life is the proof of birth, not its memory of rec- or recollection. Said so beautifully. New birth produces a certain kind of life. New birth can produces a fruit. Galatians calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you growing in your capacity to ascribe worth and value to your neighbor? The famous question of the Samaritan, who is my neighbor? Essentially, it's your hated enemy. Are you, ex- are you growing in your capacity to ascribe worth and value to your neighbor, even your hated en- enemy? Are you growing in your capacity to forgive those who hurt you? Are you growing as a peacemaker in your family and in your work and in your home? Is your care for the least of these and the most vulnerable around you growing? If the answer is no to all of those questions, I would question your experience of Jesus. Only because the scriptures would question your experience of Jesus. New birth and an experience with the living God in Jesus produces a different kind of life where you're growing in your capacity to love those around you, even your enemies, where you're growing in your capacity to ascribe worth to those who persecute you, where you're forgiving people who hurt you, where you're becoming a peacemaker, where your life looks more and more and more like it's motivated by love and mercy and justice and hope and forgiveness. And if it is not, then I would simply say the scriptures would question the authenticity of your experience with God. Maybe you need to be born again again. Because that's the kind of fruit that comes when you experience the living God. When you drink from the well, it's, as the, it's a well that it, 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 there is no end to it. So, my friends, maybe you need to be born again today. Maybe for the first time, you need to trust in Jesus the human and Jesus the Christ for what you cannot do on your own. Maybe you've been dancing around it your whole life, and today's the day. Maybe you came here this morning and you have said yes to Jesus, but there's something that needs to die in you. And today might be a born again, again, again experience. I can talk about this all I want, but we figured better to just hear it from somebody. So I want to ask Brian to come and he's just going to share his story of new birth for us. So if you would please welcome Brian. Good morning, church. Um, forgive me, I'm probably a little nervous. Not in front of this many people usually unless I'm behind a drum set. So if you see me start walking back there, just go with it. <laughs> um, I struggled. When Jenna asked me to do this, I struggled with my story because to me it just didn't make sense. Like I wasn't, like it wasn't cool enough, you know. And after hearing the sermon this morning, I'm blown away. Like... It's, it's just, it's crazy like how good God is. So um, I was born and raised in Southern California. I started going to church when I was in the third grade. I always felt God but never truly understood. I moved to Minnesota when I was 15. And still to this day, it was the hardest challenge in my life. Um, I just want to paint a picture quick. How many of you heard of uh, Huntington Beach, California? Yeah? Okay. How about Holding Ford, Minnesota? One. I see one. So uh, Huntington Beach has over 
it's almost 200,000 people. Holding Ford has 700. So you can imagine the culture shock that I went through. <laughs> um, I went from having tons of friends, having a church family, to knowing no one. And all through high school, I was tormented, being made fun of every day, blaming my parents, and blaming God. I struggled with loneliness, and I coped with that through alcohol. And uh, I was very anger, bitter, and it just, it was really hard for me to find a home, you know, until one day after a night of drinking, I felt God like I had never felt him before. It was like he slapped me across the face and said, Brian, wake up. This path that you're on leads to death. It was, <laughs> shortly after that, I started going to church. I rededicated my life to the love of Christ. And I look back at that now, and I thank God for that slap across my face. If it wasn't for that, I don't know where I'd be. Um, I, I hear God mostly through music. So I want to share some lyrics with you guys that have really um, just helped me in my walk. This first one's by a band called Demon Hunter. Um, I need a heart that carries on through the pain when the walls start collapsing again. Give me a soul that never ceases to follow despite the infection within. Uh, this next one's by Hillsong United. Um, even when my strength is weak, sorry, even when my strength is lost, I will praise you. Even when my, I have no song, I will praise you. Even when it's hard to find the words, louder than, I will sing your praise. I've learned throughout my walk that there, are, there will be ups and downs. And in them, to look for, from, blah, sorry. And in them, to look for guidance through the Spirit, to not be scared, angry, or hurt, but to understand that God is with me in every way. Thank you. I think if we were to go around the room and we had all day to do it, we would hear stories after story after story after story of people who have encountered the love of God in the person of Jesus. And gang, that's it. That's, that is the center. That is the anchor. That is, if that's not true, we're in big trouble. But I continue to believe it with tenacity in everything I have because I hear the stories of people who have seen and heard and felt the love of God in and through an encounter with the person of Jesus. And so I want to offer that to you this morning. Wherever you are and wherever you've come from, maybe you come with a lot of questions and a lot of doubt and a lot of skepticism, but today is a day when you say, maybe for the first time, I trust, I repent, I turn around. Maybe there's a, a, a born-again-again experience for you this morning that awaits you by turning around. I want to lead us into a time of silence. And so I guess I would leave you with these two questions. Do you need an experience of new birth? And do you need to be born again, again? Would you pray with me? God, as we take just a moment to quiet our hearts and hear the small voice of your spirit, 
pray that it would be clearer and louder and more precise than maybe it ever has been. That you would invite us to whatever it is that you would have for us that would lead to life, that would lead to hope, that would lead to new birth. So Holy Spirit, speak. Here we are. I hope and I pray that this community always has the courage to keep saying that. The vulnerability that it is to say, God, here is my heart. Tell me what's true. Whatever it sounds like, tell me what's true. Before you go today, if there's something that you feel like God might be doing or saying in you, to you this morning, um, tell somebody. Our prayer team's available. If you're a part of a life group, if you want to talk to me, uh, we'll be available after the gathering. We want to walk with you in what that looks like to follow Jesus. So, receive this. As Moses said over the people, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.